This is Archive Atlanta, episode 218, Shopping Malls. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this week we're talking about malls. And if you've been listening long enough, you've heard me joke that I will never be topical. Like, I will have a Christmas episode in July. But I could not have timed this topic better with current events because two of the historic malls that I'm going to talk about today have been in the news in the last week or two. As a child of the early 90s, the memories of my youth are intricately connected to the mall. From getting dropped off by my parents to meet your friends, you get to see the cute boys or mother towns, Hot Topic was the coolest store that ever existed. I could go on and on and on. But this week, I want to talk about when the mall trend hit America in the 1950s, where the first mall in Atlanta was, um, which was the first enclosed mall, you know, where these properties stand today, and much, much more. Short disclaimer, Metro Atlanta has a lot of shopping malls. And so for this episode, my goal was to be inside the perimeter, of course, and cover buildings that are still, like if not completely, at least partially still standing. So that excludes places like the Columbia slash Avondale Mall. I'm sure there's some other stuff I've missed. So, you know, send that, send me the hate mail. I'm ready for it. Um, but I tried to cover the big basics to kind of get an overall view of the story. Before we get into Atlanta's history, let's cover the brief history of shopping in general. In the 17 and 1800s, most people shopped at what was called mom and pop stores. Department stores arrived on the scene in the mid 1800s to early 1900s, Macy's in 1858, Bloomingdale's in 1861, and Sears in 1886. Atlanta had some of those greats. They had a Riches, a Davison's, and I've covered some of those and hope to do the rest in the future. The cash register was invented in 1883, and the 1920s brought the concept of credit. The first outdoor shopping mall opened in 1922 in Kansas City, but it is not until 1956 that the first indoor shopping mall opened in Minnesota. By 1960, there were more than 4,500 malls in the United States. The 1960s brought big box stores like Walmart, but that's another episode for another day. When it comes to Atlanta, we've participated in the shopping center history, all these different kinds I just talked about since day one, from mom and pop style to the department store boom to being the leader in the open air mall craze. While it doesn't fit the true definition of a shopping mall, we must give an honorable mention to Rhodes Center, which opened in 1938. Built by Rhodes Purdue, who was president of the A.G. Rhodes Estate, the newspaper headlines called it a quote-unquote trading center, and the plan was for 30 stores and a movie theater in a U-shaped design around today's Rhodes Hall, which is at Petrie Street and Petrie Circle. This development was important because it's really one of the first shopping centers in Atlanta and built specifically for cars in mind. The ad announcing its opening called Road Center the, quote, first modern shopping center in Atlanta, end quote. Built just a year later, Briarcliff Plaza also needs an honorable mention because it's often called Atlanta's first true shopping center. It was designed by George Bond, and it was also car-centric and anchored by Plaza Drugs and the Majestic Restaurant. Only a portion of Road Center still stands today. It's vacant and Briarcliff Plaza is still holding strong on Ponce de Leon. 
Mall mania hit America in the late 1950s. In 1959, the Constitution headline read that 100 cities are trying malls should Atlanta join them. Miami had just completed their open-air mall renovation of Lincoln Road, and that's the model design that everyone's talking about. So think about the way that outlet malls are kind of still designed today, um, but with more twists and turns, if that makes sense. Um, These early shopping malls were designed to mimic street shopping, but in a confined and controlled space and environment. At the time, malls were called, by all odds, the most fashionable theory in city planning. John Portman actually publicly weighs in on malls, saying there's lots of pros and cons. He actually goes on to design a mall, but we'll get to that later. The same article discussed hypotheticals in Atlanta, like, well, what if we closed off Peachtree Street from Kane to Ellis? Uh, what about parking? You know, what about fire and ambulance? Um, what about other merchants? And what I found so funny about this article is that Atlanta had more off-street parking than any other city. This is in the 1950s. They also had interviews with the presidents of Davison's and Rich's, again, two downtown department stores, that were shockingly not a fan of the mall idea. The first mall in Atlanta and the state of Georgia was the Stewart Lakewood Center at the corner of Stewart Avenue, which is today Metropolitan, and Lakewood Freeway, which is today Langford Parkway. Developed first in 1952 by Adam Cates Company, the first iteration looked more like a strip center. The plaza was on 26 acres in Sylvan Hills, one block from the future 7585 interstates. The first tenants were Jacob's Drugs, King Hardware, Colonial Stores, and a Woolworths. Fast forward to 1958, when developers Mark and Herbert Taylor and Alvin Kate expanded this into that first open-air mall. And they were really proud of themselves. They had studied what other states had done at their malls, and they designed Stewart Lakewood to cut walking distances in half and offer stores that would bring competitive pricing. The design mimicked a city block with no cars, 16 city blocks to be exact, with 30 acres of parking built with 700,000 bricks and containing over 30 stores. Officially dedicated on February 5th, 1959, Stewart Lakewood Center was heralded as a dynamic new concept in shopping. Major stores included JCPenney, Kroger, Colonial Stores, Woolworths. Woolworths at this point had the luncheonette. The inline stores were Western Auto, Rhodes Furniture, Learner Shops, uh, Friedman's Jewelers. There was an auto shop, a camera shop, record, candy, fabrics, you know, dry cleaners, on and on. Now, the mall's popularity really declines when Greenbrier opens, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, And it was even, they tried to expand it. So if you go there today, the majority of the original open air mall structure is either gone or it's kind of like hiding within the expansion structure. You can definitely still see the acres and acres of parking and kind of get a general idea of what the mall might have looked like. The next mall to hit the scene is one that many of us know, Lenox Square. James K. Otley was president of First National Bank in Atlanta, and he had a very large Buckhead estate called Joyeuse. Joyeuse. Totally said that poorly French word. Um, When he died in 1945, his will stated that his wife be allowed to continue living there for two more years. And then after that, within the next decade, the land is sold for development, to welcome a $15 million shopping center on the 67-acre site. And this would make it the largest in the Southeast. 
Ed Noble of the famed Noble Research family had moved to Atlanta when he was 28, and he led and funded this project. So the construction of Lenox Square was surprisingly pretty tumultuous. By May of 1957, the first of many legal challenges came from a group of three neighbors who claimed their property values would plummet from the shopping center development and that it would be a fire and traffic hazard. What you have to remember about Buckhead in this time is that it was very residential and previously it was very much a place for wealthy white Atlantans to locate their summer homes or their country estates. It didn't even really get annexed into Atlanta until the early 1950s. So if I'm reading this history correctly, Lenox Square development was actually the first project in the city to receive a zoning variance. And so you have neighbors that have been living in this undeveloped, you know, wooded, ruralish part of Atlanta, and they are suddenly contending with a mall. What's really interesting to me about this legal fight is that they used an earlier racial covenant a restriction covenant to fight this. Basically, they're like, hey, hey, this land is racially restricted. If you build this mall, black people will come here and that's against the law. And they tried everything to block this development. The legal fights continued throughout 1957 and 1958 with cases reaching the Georgia Supreme Court. Finally, in August of 1959, Lenox Square opened to the public. It was designed by architects Tomb, Amasano, and Wells. It was 800,000 square feet, over 60 acres, had parking for 6,000 cars, and 52 stores. It was anchored by a Riches, a Davison's, and it had a public-use auditorium. The corner of the property had a Gulf service station that was an architectural gem, touting the only culinary or sagging arch in the United States. The marketing line for Lenox Square was, everything's there at Lenox Square. To say it was popular would be an understatement. By 1961, there were 69 stores. They had also built a community fallout shelter, which I talked about in that episode. By 1963, they opened the Lenox Square Theater. Now, something to keep in mind, Lenox's initial design was that outdoor mall. And so while we started enclosing malls almost immediately after this development, Lenox would not be enclosed until 1971-1972. There was a huge undertaking. I think they closed the mall for a couple months. And so when you're in there today, if you do go in there today, the skylights um, and the kind of indoor courtyards that we think of very typical in malls were all designed to try to mimic and keep that outdoor feeling while still being weatherproof. Because of Lenox Square's success, almost immediate plans for a Southside version were developed. Now at first, the future Greenbrier Mall was going to be in Clayton County, but by the next year, the plans had shifted to where it still stands today at Greenbrier Parkway and 285. Now, Greenbrier was being built at the exact same time as another mall, and they were basically racing for the designation of the first enclosed mall in Georgia. And North DeKalb wins. So North DeKalb opened in July of 1965. It's designed by Stevens and Wilkinson's. It had about 460,000 square feet, 54 stores, Riches and Woolworths, um, and it was hailed as, quote, the city's first weatherproof shopping center, end quote. It also contained a flagship location of the Story Theater chain. This one had, I think, 850 seats. Now, if you are up on your current events, this was just announced last week that North DeKalb Mall is going to be demolished and replaced with a mixed-use concept. 
opened just two months after North DeKalb. In September of 1965, Greenbrier Shopping Center was designed by Edwards and Portman. Yes, that John Portman. It cost about $10 million to build, and it was also anchored by a Riches on one side and a JCPenney on the other. Riches also had a Magnolia Room, which is their kind of iconic restaurant, and JCPenney actually was the first one in Georgia to have a beauty salon inside. It was 650,000 square feet. It had a movie theater that was located beneath the center section of the mall, which very Portman-ish, right? Um, There was a long shopping concourse that ran through the center. It had precast animal statues, uh, two fountains, and a bird aviary. So this mall is probably most famous and in the news recently for being home to the very first Chick-fil-A. Now, the Dwarf House in Hapeville is where Truett Cathy, you know, started his idea, but he really did not think about making chicken sandwiches um, specifically until he opened this Chick-fil-A at Greenbrier. And that opened, I think it was 1967. So if you've been in the news, this Chick-fil-A is closing May 20th, 2023. So if you're listening in real time, that is tomorrow. Next up is the Ansley Mall. In 1963, the land was purchased from the Liddell Johnson estate by a team of developers who wanted to build an open-air mall. Designed by Maston Associates Architects, Ansley Mall's grand opening was in April of 1966. It touted the largest Woolworths in Atlanta. It had a Morrison's cafeteria. By 1968, tenants included Colonial Stores, Kroger, along with a maternity clothing shop, um, cleaners, jewelers. Uh, There was a club and restaurant called Crops and Bee which sounded very fun, and of course, the mini cinema. And if you have not listened to episode 176 about Stonewall of the South, which was the raid at Ansley Mall's mini cinema, you should definitely do that. Um, The mall itself is a huge part of Atlanta's LBGTQ history, um, which I also talked about in episodes 200 and 201 with the context statement that is about to come out soon. By 1966, the press announced the development of Phipps Plaza, a 100,000-square-foot enclosed mall to be built just next to Lenox. And this was going to be anchored by a Saks Fifth Avenue and funded by a group of people, including the Bessemer, Phipps, and Schroeder families. From the get-go, Phipps was marketed as, quote, not a shopping mall, but a shopping complex, end quote, and, quote, a compliment to Lenox Square, not competition, end quote. Lord and Taylor then came a little bit later, planned to open its first store in the South there. Um, The whole complex was completed in August of 1968, and it was designed by architects Abbott, Merck, and Co. And so this is actually the first multi-story mall in Atlanta. Before this, everything was single story. In June of 1968, ground broke on a 31-acre site in unincorporated DeKalb County on Buford Highway at Dresden Drive. The Buford Claremont Mall was developed by Sunshine Development Stores. It had a Woolco, um, a Sunshine's, a Winn-Dixie. And over the next two years, they added a Jacob's Drug, Freeman's Jeweler, a Tropical Plant Store, Photo, Juice Bar. Again, very typical stores that others had had. In 1971, they opened the Lowe's Twelve Oaks Theater. And weird fact, this is actually the second of two Gone with the Wind-themed theaters in Atlanta. By 1982, it had changed its name to the Shoppers Mall. Um, Very shortly thereafter, they were calling it Outlet Square. 
1996, it was the Oriental Mall Atlanta. Only lasted a few years, I think till 2000. And then it became what it is today, which is Plaza Fiesta. And Plaza Fiesta is the first shopping mall in the United States to be marketed to the Latino community. South DeKalb Mall followed suit in August of 1969. It is also designed by Stevens and Wilkinsons and partially developed by Riches. So another fun trivia fact for you, Stevens and Wilkinsons was really Riches on staff architect. Um, so anytime a shopping center had a Riches or was co-developed by Riches, they were going to be the architects. It also had a JCPenney Auto Center. It also had a Chick-fil-A. Um, they had like a Spencer Gifts, Pet Village, Woolworths, and a Piccadilly that opened in 1971. North Lake Mall opened in 1970 with 850,000 square feet, 90 stores. And then that became the largest two-level enclosed shopping center in the Southeast. The mall at West End was completed in 1971, and that was anchored by a Sears and a Cress. By 1981, there were 900 shopping centers in the state of Georgia. I'm not sure how many are left today. That wasn't a fact that was easily searchable. If you grew up in Atlanta in the 80s, you most definitely have memories of the larger suburban malls opening in places like Gwinnett, Cobb County, or Union City. In the 90s, we added North Point Mall, Mall of Georgia, and Arbor Place Mall. I've talked to a lot of people that grew up here and, you know, driving even from Peachtree City to go to Gwinnett Place Mall was like an event and an exciting thing. So if you have kind of mall history, I'd love to hear it. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's shopping mall history. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. There's also a link in the show notes where you can support my work. I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.